Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, I ask, Lord, through your Holy Spirit that you would guide my words, Lord, and if they not be of you, they would fall as chaff to the ground. We ask this in the name of your precious Son, Jesus. Amen. Well, I'd like to thank Isaiah for that uh, wonderful, warm greeting. And it's wonderful to be here today to, to worship with you. And we're looking at James uh, chapter 3, as you heard read, beginning in verse 13, through chapter 4, verse 12, and it's on your pew Bibles on page 1012. Now, before diving into the text, I have some general observations about James's letter. And uh, for me, you know, reading James is like standing in the cyclorama at Gettysburg. I don't know if you've ever seen it, um, but the cyclorama is a painting, and it's in the round, and it depicts Pickett's Charge, the penultimate battle of Gettysburg. And it was first painted in the 1880s. And it was the IMAX. It was the virtual reality of the day. And you stand on this platform in the middle of the painting. And no matter where you look are images of the battle. And what it does, it, it immerses you within the fray. You feel like you're part of the fray. Well, I don't notice if you have noticed, but James's letter does what the painting does. As you read the letter, you see that James is constantly connecting similar themes again and again. You have verses that refer to earlier verses, but with varied examples. And James is presenting a 360-degree picture of what it means to be a follower of Christ versus a follower of the world. No matter what chapter you read, James is contrasting these two individuals one who lives with wisdom from above and one who lives with wisdom from below. And James presents these two individuals and these individuals are in the church. He's writing to the church communities of his day. And one is a doer of the word and the other is a doer of the world. So as we look at this passage in chapter 3, let's summarize briefly what do these two individuals look like? Well, a doer of the word looks like a steadfast humble, peaceable, impartial, slow to speak, quick to hear, and merciful. Their prayers are answered. Their wisdom comes from the above. And earlier in chapter 2, James says they live out the royal law, which is love your neighbor as yourself. They're doers of the word, and it's a person who is shaped by wisdom from above. They're full of mercy, good fruits, impartial, and sincere. So that's a person who lives by the word. But then he contrasts this with who is a doer of the world. They're full of pride. They're arrogant. They're selfish. They create strife, discord, quarrels. They show partiality to the rich. They ignore those in need. They're not doers of the law to love others as their neighbor, but they're a judge over who is worthy to receive uh, their love. They're led by passions and desires. Their, des their prayers go unanswered. So James summarizes this doer of the world uh, succinctly in verse 15. They have wisdom that comes from below, which is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. You know, I always like James. He pulls no punches. You know, he's, he just tells it like it is. And so he leaves us with this contrast and think about that. That's one letter, the letter L. You're either a doer of the word or you're a doer of the world. 
This one simple letter describes this tremendous differences of these two individuals and how they think, how their hearts are shaped, and how they act. So that raises uh, three questions as we look at these individuals for us. How is our mind conformed by wisdom from above? How is our heart conformed by wisdom from above? And how are our actions conformed from wisdom from above? So our minds, our hearts, our actions, they come under the sway of someone's wisdom, either the world's, our own, or God's. And James wants us to think carefully about this. Our thoughts, our desires, our actions, are they coming from the, the word of God or are they coming from the spirit of the world? So let's look first at the mind being conformed by wisdom from above. And today's lesson begins in verse uh, 13 of chapter 3. And James asks a question. Who is wise and understanding among you? So James says, okay, how do you pick out people that are following the word of God? Well, he says, look at people's actions. How do they live? What's the character of their lives? The wise are doers of the word and show forth their works in meekness of wisdom. And, the, and that raises then a second question. Well, how do, we, how do we develop that wisdom in our lives? And James characterizes what a wise person looks like in action. He tells you to look at how they live. But what is wisdom exactly? What quality is he defining? How do we know what this wisdom is? Well, if you look at typical definitions, they'll tell you wisdom is good judgment. It's expressed in sound actions. It's knowledgeable, purposeful, ethical, respectful. But the Bible would describe wisdom as understanding life and living according to God's precepts. Now, precepts is a word which encompasses not just God's commands, but also his principles, his words for human flourishing. So God's precepts are really encompassing this, this value of how do we live lives of high quality and human flourishing. And if we look back at, at verse one, uh, chapter 1, verse 5, you know, James very succinctly says, ask God for wisdom and he'll give it to you. If you ask without doubt, he gives generously to those who ask. Well, that seems simple enough. Ask God for wisdom and he'll give it, but... How can we be sure we receive what we're praying for? How do we evaluate what we're seeking is from God? In fact, the writer of Ecclesiastes struggled with this. In chapter 7, verse 23 and 24, he expressed his frustration with finding wisdom. He wrote, I have always tried my best to let wisdom guide my thoughts and actions. I said to myself, I am determined to be wise, but it didn't work. Wisdom is always distant and difficult to find. And so we know developing wisdom is a challenge because we have so many books written about trying to find wisdom. You know, things like Seven Habits of Highly Effective People by Stephen Covey, Good to Great by Jim Collins, The Purpose Driven Life by Rick Warren. And in my neck of the woods in Philadelphia, we have Poor Richard's Almanac written by Ben Franklin, <laughs> the founder of the University of Pennsylvania. In fact, if you, if you go to the center of the campus, uh, Locust Walk is a, a, used to be Locust uh, Road, but it's closed off. It's the main walkway of the center of campus. And it's, it's lined by these Pennsylvania bluestone blocks. It's, it's quite lovely. And un, engraved on those blocks are sayings of Ben Franklin. So as you walk down the main walk of campus, you can read these sayings. And just a couple of them are, are such as, 
Three may keep a secret if two of them are dead. <clears throat> in, the, in the affairs of this world, men are saved, not by faith, but by the lack of it, reflecting kind of a business practices in Ben's day. Love your enemies, for they tell you your faults. So these are just the things you'd read as you walk down Locust Walk. And I've worked at Penn for over 30 years. And despite these pithy sayings of Franklin, I don't sense our university is guided from wisdom from above. It is increasingly guided from wisdom from below, conforming to the precepts of the culture. Franklin's sayings are not sufficient to guide the human spirit. They're nice to read, but it raises the question of what pathway informs the walk of our lives and how we inform how we're walking with what wisdom. And words may be pithy, but are they pointing you to the true path of life that God would desire for all of us? Now, our minds are formed by words. These statements do uh, impact us with thoughts, just as our bodies are formed by food. What we take in in food, we digest, it builds us up nutritionally. What we take in in words builds up our mind and conforms our thoughts and ideas. But we have to be sure that what shapes our opinions, what, we, what we're taking in to form our thoughts and reasons are coming from the Word of God. Now in James's day, his, his help, self-help books were Proverbs, Job, and Ecclesiastes. They were wisdom books, and they were to guide the Hebrew people to ingest and inform and shape their minds to be formed from wisdom from above. Now, <clears throat> we do receive many things by what we read, but we also receive what we hear, what we see visually too, and not just words on a page, but also images that we take in. So it raises the question, what do you watch on TV? What are you watching on your computer? What's on your iPhone or your um, Android phone? Are your choices coming from above or from below? How is the political discourse you're reading or listening to drawing closer to loving your neighbor? Or is it drawing you to despise those who have different politics? What voices are you listening to? We need to examine what we're watching, what we're listening, what we're reading, and ask the question, how is it shaping our mind? And we can look all the way back to Adam and Eve and look at what happened to what they desired to do to shape their minds. Now in Genesis 3.6, we see the woman saw the tree was good for food, that it was a delight to the eyes, that the tree was to be desired and make one wise. So she took of its fruit and ate. She gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. Satan tricked Adam and Eve into living by their own words, their own wisdom. They desired to be like God, so they desired to be on their, their own bearers of wisdom and this move has defined our wisdom as humans now for thousands of years. James calls this wisdom, wisdom from below. And he succinctly defines what it's like in 3.15. It's not the wisdom that comes from above, but as an earthly, unspiritual, demonic, led astray by the voice of Satan. We need to think, if the voice we're hearing is not from God, it's not neutral. The voice is demonic. It's from Satan. The Bible makes it very clear there's no middle way. It's either God's way or it's not his way. And so our wisdom can be deceptive. It can be an illusion. 
because our desires and passions change. Wisdom that comes from below changes with the times. Not following God's word leads to confusion and chaos. Think of the difference. God's precepts are unchanging, the Bible tells us. He's the same today as yesterday and will be tomorrow. So wisdom from God is that rock upon which Jesus counseled us to build our houses, the foundation of God's word. Whereas what we have in society, in our culture, are precepts that change with the times based on people's desires. And what the Bible tells us, and especially Jeremiah, our hearts are wicked. We can't trust what desires come from our hearts when they're unformed by the Holy Spirit. And so that's building a foundation on sand. It changes with the times. It has no stability. And so we raises a question then, how do we change the foundation of our minds? How do we ensure that we're building a foundation on the rock? Well, Proverbs begins one of the great expressions in 1-7. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Fearing God. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Now, fearing God means respecting his authority, his command, his word. And so this means not reading scripture as pithy sayings made by men, but as words coming from the throne of God. Remember what John, also what James said in, in 1.5, we must desire wisdom and pray for it. That, res, that speaks to wanting, desiring, not fulfilling our passions, but to be conformed by God's precepts, his words. And they become known to us by studying, ingesting, meditating upon his word. We cannot change our minds, our thoughts, without meditating on God's word. And there's good news. James does come to some good news in this letter. He says that God can be as close to us as a father. And he tells us in verse 4-8, he says, Draw near to God, he will draw near to you. Now notice Draw near to God is a command. It's an imperative. But he connects it with a promise that God will draw near to you if you draw near to him. And as we seek God, God will be found. We live under the new covenant. Jesus is sacrificed on the cross and he has redeemed us from our sins. And as the writer in Hebrews describes, this is a blessing we have from Christ. Listen to what he says in chapter 10, verse 19. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. We have access through Christ to draw near to God with confidence. And so we can hear our Father's voice, the fountain of wisdom, with confidence because he, we're invited to draw near to him. However, James does remind us there is a condition in us that must be dealt with to do this, and that is sin. In verse 8, he also says, Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Now, this would be a great expression, you know, to confront somebody, one of your friends, and uh, just to invite them into uh, it. So, uh, you know, James pulls those punches. But this is a word. Uh, it's a word for us as Christians and also a word for the worldly. For we all have sinned and fallen short. And James is, is calling us to renew our minds with the wisdom of God. We need to set aside pride. We need to embrace humility and confess our sins. 
And James also describes this coming before the Lord. Be, um, be wretched, mourn, and weep. Your laughter turned to mourning, your joy to gloom. Now he is not decrying joy, but what James is pointing out that we really do need to lament over our sins. They're very serious before that God. God cannot tolerate sin. Thank goodness for the blood of Christ. But in order to approach and come before God, we need humility, recognizing that we need to repent of our sin. And then that places us in a position to receive his wisdom. So the first point, your mind's going to be fed by something or someone. It'll take the form of words that you take in, and these words tur uh, will turn and shape our, what our thoughts are and the wisdom we live by. So to live with the wisdom, wisdom from above, our minds need to be feeding on the words from above, on God's word. Well, secondly, let's drill a little deeper. Our minds shape our thoughts, but oftentimes our hearts actually shape much on how we think and what we do and how we act. So our hearts need to be conformed by wisdom from above. But just look at verses 17 to 18 in chapter 3, what James describes. Those who live according to the word are pure, not just sexual purity. He's talking about pure in heart. James's meaning of one mind with God's truth. Also, these people are peaceable, gentle, meek, open to reason, full of mercy, impartial, and sincere. They are full of good fruits. And these sound an awful lot like Paul's words about the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5.22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. So doers of the word have hearts that are formed by the Holy Spirit. From deep within them comes forth good fruits. Now James does contrast this in verse 15 with the follower of the world. And notice he says they progress from earthly to unspiritual to demonic forces. Unchecked by the Holy Spirit over time. Character fragments further away from God. And Paul describes this wonderfully in, in Romans chapter 1. Where he describes what happens to those that are not following God. And also Paul summarizes in Galatians also 5.21. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, things like these. I warn you as I warned you before that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. So, um, you know, Paul also, I don't, I don't think he's missed anything on this list, but uh, he really describes what's happening when you're following the world versus following the word of God. And then James goes on to describe the effect this has in the community of faith in chapter 4, verses 1 to 3. He said, this is full of selfish ambition, creating disorder and chaos, causing quarrels and fights. They cause dissension in the body. Why? because they covet. And in frustration of not getting their way, they cause fights and quarrels. They covet not only physical goods, but leadership over against others. They're not reasonable. They demand their own way, even if it opposes God's commands. 
their desires and ideas become more important than God's word. And if they can't get what they want, they argue, fight, creating chaos and disorder. And James succinctly says, this is like being murderers and adulterers. And so James is very clear on the dissent and tension that will be created in the body of Christ by those that don't follow God's word. It sounds pretty rough. Christians can be hard on each other. And that was true in James's day. And it's certainly true in our day today. We see this fracturing and splintering throughout the global church. So it raises a question. How can we open our hearts to God's spirit so that it begins to shape our spirits? Well, in the the day-to-day, consider um, an ancient practice, the examine of St. Ignatius of Loyola. It's pretty simple. Each night, you review the day. You ask God to be present through his spirit to guide your thoughts. Give thanks for things to be grateful for but also to reveal, Lord, where is my shortcomings today? How might they be corrected in the next day, the day to come? Be specific. Maybe your shortcomings were to speak critically to a coworker, to a child, to a spouse. Maybe you spoke behind someone's back, gossiping, a practice James described in 411 as evil. Well, as you review the day, ask God for forgiveness And more importantly, resolve that tomorrow you will make amends for the wrong that was done. These are small steps, but what's happening is you're training your heart to follow the leading of the Holy Spirit. You're creating open spaces for the Spirit of God to come in and begin to reform your word, begin to reform your desires and passions before the Lord. And so we ask God in this moment to come in and change us to put his word, his, his precepts in place of my desires. And James says, if they're not from God, they're from the devil. But James also says they're good news. If you resist the devil, he will flee from you. So as you build the word of God in you, more and more you'll be able to resist the, the evil forces that come from the word, from the world, excuse me. So in the exam, and you're creating space, you're opening up, prayerfully asking the Holy Spirit to create habits in accordance with the heart of God, one step at a time, transforming a heart of stone to a heart transformed by the Spirit of God. And we could summarize this by Proverbs 4.23. Above all else, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. So develop a plan to train your heart with the Spirit of God and not the Spirit of the age. So our minds, our hearts need to be conformed by wisdom from above, But as James has said again and again in this letter, faith without works is dead. So we need to finally ask, how do we bring our actions into accord with wisdom from above? So James challenges readers to be doers of the word, actions that were consistent with Jesus' commands for living out the kingdom of heaven on earth. Now last week Isaiah talked about the tongue and how divisive it can be. And one of the first areas of action is to control our speech both in criticizing others and also in making foolish oaths to build up our words. Another way we employ wisdom in action is to evaluate who are we hanging out with? How do we practice kindness and hospitality? How do we engage with the poor, the orphan, and the widow? Well, we can think of examples in our life and think about actions to follow where we're following the word versus the world, or more personally, 
When do our actions and desires lead us into conflict with God's plans to evaluate what we're doing in relation to what God's precepts are? Well, a simple example in my own life, when following God's wisdom took the form of an action, and it was an action that involved how my wife and I would order our time, our busy schedules, according to God's purpose instead of our own purposes. And this simple act set the course of our life over the next 50 years. We had been married a little over a year. My wife had grown up in the Catholic Church. I'd grown up in the Presbyterian Church. Uh, Barbara would attend Mass on Sundays, but I would stay home and I was doing work for my graduate program. So I'd work on, uh, you know, homework class schedules, but also I'd, I was teaching three laboratories. So I had preparation for, you know, teaching labs that week. And I just thought Sundays were the day to catch up on schoolwork and make sure I was prepared for the week. And then even in the spring, I played club lacrosse, which usually begin in February and would go into May, close to June. And oftentimes our games were uh, uh, traveling to Maryland, Long Island. They were always on Sundays. And so it was basically church was out of the question for me. It just didn't suit my priorities. It just didn't seem to have the time. But there was this still small voice that we should be attending church together. However, that raised the question on what church? You know, Barbara's Catholic, going to a Catholic church. I'd grown up Presbyterian, and uh, that was a conflict. How do we resolve this? Because we felt it important to go to church together. Well, fortunately, um, Barbara saw a sign on a neighboring church, Deeper Life Teaching Wednesday Nights. She said, that sounds interesting. Maybe we should check this out. So we did. We began attending uh, church on Sundays, both of us. Barbara would go to Wednesday night to hear the deeper life teaching. I was still hung up in my, my uh, classwork. <laughs> but the head pastor, George Callahan, God bless him, he preached the gospel every Sunday. Now, Barbara had grown up Catholic. I had grown up in the Presbyterian church. I went to church every Sunday, Sunday school, Bible school, youth group, I never knew who Jesus was. Either my ears were closed or the gospel was never preached. But bless George Callahan, he preached the word of God. As Paul says in Romans, preach the gospel. How else do you come to faith unless someone preaches the gospel? George Callahan was winsome, his preaching was great, and he preached the gospel. Every Sunday, you came away and knew what Jesus Christ had come to do to save us from sin. Our ears were open for the first time in our life. Our hearts were convicted. Something had to change. If we were going to go to church every Sunday, lacrosse had to go. Schoolwork had to go. So we made this decision that we were going to attend church every Sunday. That became our number one priority. It was a decision that changed our lives. It set a course for following Jesus. Little did we know that one act, that one commitment oriented the rest of our lives. It put us in place to hear wisdom from above. Now there was and still always work to be done on our hearts, but that decision put in place a transformation that is still ongoing. 
So what decision lays before you? What do you need to set aside to say yes to hearing wisdom from above, to hearing the Lord speak into your hearts, to opening up to the flow of the Holy Spirit, to shape, transform, and conform you to his word? Does it happen immediately? No, but it won't happen unless you place yourselves before his throne and draw near to him and say, yes, Lord. Now, James doesn't leave us without hope. Look at verse 5 in chapter 4. The Lord yearns jealously over the spirit he has made to dwell in us. God has placed the spirit of life in us and he is jealous for you that you would turn to him, that you would come to him. That spirit of life in us is from him and he yearns, he yearns for you to draw to him. He, and so his promise is God gives more grace and he will give it abundantly. We just have to ask without doubt. So ask in humility, without doubt, he will fulfill in you the wisdom from above, developing, training, employing in you the gifts of the Holy Spirit to the glory of his name. Amen.